The reading of the word is from John 16, 21 through 28, ESV. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be in full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning, Redemption Arcadia. My name is Tyler Thompson. I am the pastor of communities and worship here at Redemption Arcadia. And glad to be with you this morning to deliver this sermon on John chapter 16. We have a longer passage than that. It's verses 16 through verse, uh, verse 16 through verse 33. Um, but we got the bulk of the idea of the sermon in that reading there. Uh, our other pastors, there are four of us uh, here at Redemption Arcadia, and we really work as a pastoral team and, and are thankful to be able to serve uh, the Lord together as a team. But the other three pastors are out this morning. Uh, Pastor Frank is in Iowa uh, uh, leading a marriage uh, retreat, a marriage uh, camp. And uh, Pastor Tyler James is taking a, a well-deserved weekend off, being with his family. Uh, and Pastor Trey Fraley is actually leading a group of next-gen leaders, youth leaders, uh, up at a retreat as well. So um, I am the lone pastor this morning, uh, but happy to be with you and glad to be able to uh, preach out of John chapter 16. I have actually just two brief announcements to follow up with. Uh, one is that there are these flyers for our Advent, Advent offering out in the back in the lobby. Uh, you can pick that up. Uh, each year we ask you uh, to give towards the Advent offering uh, a little bit above and beyond what you would normally give on a weekly basis. And there are three ways to be able to do that. Uh, one is by giving your time. You can serve at the Affordable Christmas uh, event that we partner with at Redemption Alhambra. Uh, one is by giving gifts to the uh, Affordable Christmas. You can leave the toys on the rack in the lobby. And the third is by giving your offering monetarily, uh, which will be split, split three ways, uh, Hope Women's Center alongside Ministries and Immigrant Hope. So you may pick these up in the back. And then the last but not least is that on December 12th, we are going to have our Christmas choir. And so if you are interested in singing as a part of that day, you don't have to be a professional singer or sound like these guys that were up here today, uh, but we'd love for you to come and uh, sing as a part of that. The rehearsals are going to be December 8th and 9th in here from 6.30 to 8 p.m., and we'd love for you to participate with us for our Christmas choir. Thank you so much. Uh, Eleven years ago, my wife and I were expecting the birth of our first child. Liz was pregnant with Charlotte, and uh, she was beginning to get more and more uncomfortable as the, as the time went along. Uh, but at the end of the pregnancy, she went into labor. This was our first uh, child, and she had 42 hours of labor. That's a long time. 
Uh, and it's a lot of pain, I'm told. I didn't, feel, I didn't feel it the way that she did. I felt a different kind of pain, which was sort of being in the process with her and, and seeing somebody that I love be in that much pain and really not be able to do much about it. Uh, we did all of the classes with the breathing and the different kinds of things that you do in order to help ease the pain as you go along with it, but there was really not a lot that I was able to do to ease her suffering. 42 hours. At the end of that 42 hours, Charlotte was born, and we were joyful and excited about the birth of, of, of Charlotte. And, and Liz, uh, at the end of the delivery, said, I don't know if I can do that again. <laughs> and then 12 months went by, and she said, I think we should have another baby. And so uh, we actually tried. Uh, we actually we had a miscarriage, uh, which is painful, and some of you have, have been through that as well. Um, and then we found out later we, we were pregnant with Savannah, and she came to the, labor, uh, the de delivery, and there was just 17 hours of labor this time, which is better than 42. Um, and 17 hours at the end of it, she, we had Savannah, and she said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that again. Well, 12 months later, she said, I think maybe we ought to have another baby. Uh, we had actually another miscarriage, um, which, which is part of why we had this, this, this break between our kids. Our kids are four years apart. Um, and then Dallas, we were pregnant with Dallas. And uh, Dallas's delivery, uh, her labor was only 12 hours, which is better. We're getting better each time, which is good. <laughs> And at the end of the, the labor, labor and the delivery, uh, she said, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> well, Dallas is now almost three. And she's saying, I think maybe we should have another baby. <laughs> and so we'll let you know how that turns out. Uh, no, no news today. Um, but, uh, and I did promise her that I would tell you that, that I also wanted to have our kids. It wasn't just that she wanted to have, have, have the kids. Um, but there is this thing that happens for moms where they, they actually can forget the pain of childbirth once the child is there. And so she loves babies. She loves that period of having a baby at home. And she sort of thinks to herself, I'm going to want to do this again because I don't remember how bad it was in the moment. Well, that theme is here in our passage today. And it's just bonkers because Jesus actually knows that theme. Now, he never, he never delivered a baby himself, at least not that I've seen in Scripture. But Jesus knows this idea that women have this immense pain during childbirth, and then this sorrow turns to joy later on. And that's the theme of our passage today, that our sorrow will turn into joy through Jesus and we live in this sort of now and not yet period of the church, which is that we still experience sorrow. We know that one day there will be no more pain or sorrow. One day we will be with God for all eternity, and that sorrow and pain will not exist. But there are promises in this passage today that Jesus promises that we will have sorrow in this world, but that we are to take heart because he has overcome the world and that sorrow will turn into joy. Amen? Amen? Amen. So you can open up in your Bibles, John chapter 16. By the way, this is our last sermon in John of the year. We're going to start our Advent series next week. And we'll come back to John in the new year. John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. 
The first thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus understands our pain even when we do not. Even when we do not understand our pain, Jesus understands it. Verse 16, he says this, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. I want to point out just for a moment here that it's interesting that John includes this sort of dialogue between the disciples. That Jesus is sort of giving, speaking in, in a, a parable or speaking in allegory, speaking with some of the, the, uh, the gem of the wisdom and the truth hidden, which is what he did many times in his teaching. But the disciples are puzzled by this riddle that Jesus has said, a little while. And so they're saying to, to each other, what does he mean, a little while? And it sort of reminds me that uh, if you're in the car on a long road trip with, with, with kids, or if, and the kids are saying, are, are we there yet? They don't really have any sense of time. There's not really any indication with kids about how much is a little while. Oh, sure, we'll be there in a little while. What does that mean? Does that mean five minutes? Does that mean five days? Does that mean five years? What is a little while? And I think there are two things that are happening here, and probably the reason that John is including this is that the disciples, even now, in John chapter 16, don't really understand what's happening. Even this close to the death of Jesus Christ, the disciples don't really understand what's, what's going on. It speaks to the just magnitude of this God who created the world, who is Lord over creation, who is still Lord even during the fall, who has a plan for redemption and one day will restore all of creation. It speaks to this God who knows above and beyond anything that we can imagine or know. The fact that he is this other, different than us. That he understands things that we just possibly couldn't. And so the disciples are wondering what it is that Jesus is saying. Now I think there are two things that he's alluded to here. One, if you think about the current state of the, being of the disciples and what is happening with Jesus, he's about to go to his death and, and, and the resurrection, and he knows this. And so he's saying in a little while, he's talking about very soon he will go to his death where he will be crucified on the cross for the sin of the world. And then in a little while, on the third day, he will rise again, and he will be restored unto new life. So there's sort of this present reality that he's speaking to. But as is often the case in, in prophecy and scripture, he's also talking to a future reality, which is that he will go and ascend to go to the Father, and then there will be a longer little while where the disciples will not see him, and then he will come again at the end of time, that he will come for the second coming. This present and future reality is what Jesus is speaking to. And we as a church, we find ourselves in the middle of that. Post-resurrection, post-ascension, but pre-second coming of Jesus. And that's where we find our sorrow and our joy. We find our sorrow and our joy in our daily walk in that period of time, in that little while after the work of Christ on the cross and before his coming again. 
And so the Christian mantra from the beginning of this passage is, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Amen? And so Jesus knows, in verse 19, he says, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying, a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. I love this, that Jesus knows what they want to ask before they ask it. And that's not the only place in Scripture that we get that, that reality and that truth. That the Father knows what we, will, we want to ask before we ask it, right? And so God here knows, Jesus knows what they want to ask, and so he nails it. He says, is this what you want to know? And then he says, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. What do you think he's talking about there? that the disciples will experience something where the world will rejoice at what is going on, but they will weep and lament about it. Well, certainly, if we look back in the passage from last week and, and, uh, and what Tyler covered in the early parts of John chapter 16, there was a reference to the disciples being, being treated poorly or even put to death thinking the world thinking that they were doing the right thing, offering a service to God. There's a picture set up here where the world thinks that they are running after goodness, but instead they are op opposing God and his purposes. Paul in, in Philippians will say, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And the reality is, is that there is a world who thinks they are doing the right thing in service of God even, but are working against the purposes of God. And I think that was the case with people who put Jesus on the cross. Now remember, we are all responsible for that with the sin of humanity. And so people are, are puzzled by what Jesus is saying here. The disciples are confused, but he's pointing to the time when he will be put to death for the sin of the world. And the world will think that they're doing the right thing, but the disciples will weep and lament. Even in this sorrow, he says, your sorrow will turn into joy. In other words, what Jesus is pointing to is that in the middle of sorrow, there is a possibility of hope. I think that that's one of the key things we need to hear from this passage today, that even in the midst of sorrow, there's a possibility of hope and joy that we know that the circumstance that we are in does not dictate our ability to have joy. But our joy is based on these truths that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. So Jesus causes even our sorrow to be turned into joy. Now Jesus brings up the case study of childbearing. And so he uses this as an example as an example of what they might view sorrow and joy. If we're thinking about sorrow and joy, he brings up childbearing as a way of, of understanding this. It's oftentimes what he was doing with parables is that he was giving us a way to understand a spiritual truth. But it's interesting, he's not only talking about a spiritual truth here, he's talking about a physical thing that happens in history. 
that there is a lineage of childbearing from Eve on where God is working out his purposes in the world. It's spiritual and physical. So in verse 21, he says this, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Amazing to me that Jesus understands this dynamic and that he shares it with us. Now, you might think Jesus never had to go through that, but we can get into this sort of kind of thinking all the time where we think, well, you, you don't understand my pain. You don't have the same pain that... This person over here doesn't have it as bad as I have. I have it way worse than this person over here. Has anybody ever done that? Our mentality can often be to compare our pain with one another. We, we kind of want to win the prize of having the most pain. Well, you clearly don't understand what I've gone through. And you know what? On the one hand, that that's true. I can't understand your pain. I don't understand the pain that my wife went through in delivering our three babies. I don't understand the pain that my wife went through in having a miscarriage. I have my own pain in those things, but I don't understand her pain on the one hand. On the other hand, I know that we all have pain. And I know that we all experience it in different ways. And so Jesus here understands the pain of the woman going through childbearing, even though he has not experienced that particular pain. There's a sort of solidarity with the woman here. And I would hope for us as well that we might seek to understand the pain of one another, though we've not experienced that same particular pain. But he understands it, and he says, when the human being has come and been born into the world, the anguish goes away. So also, verse 22, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. I oftentimes wondered what it would be like in heaven where there will be no more pain and no more sorrow, but will I still have memories of some of the difficult things that I went through in this life? And I thought, how does that work where I can remember this particular event in my life and not have sorrow and pain over it? But I think the key to that is is here. That just like the woman who remembers the anguish or remembers the experience of going through childbearing and then has the, the baby show up and doesn't any longer remember the anguish of it, I think that that's how heaven will be for us as well. That we will remember the process, but the pain and the sorrow won't be attached to it any longer. And there's that hope there for the believer that one day we will dwell with the Lord and none of that sorrow or pain will be attached any longer. 23, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This is like the fourth time in the book of John, that, uh, and, and especially recently, where Jesus is saying, if you ask it in the name of the Father, I'll give it to you. But go back and listen to the last couple of weeks of sermons with Tyler and Frank if we want to know what that phrase, asking in my name, means. 
Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Asking you will receive that your joy may be full. Here, the asking in my name is attached to the idea of having our joy be full. That even in the midst of sorrow and difficulty and pain, that we would ask that God's joy would be full in our life. Notice that the instruction from the Lord there is not that we would ask that our sorrow and our pain would go away but that our joy would be full in the midst of sorrow and pain. Now that's hard, because I know most of my prayers center around God take away this pain. And I think it's okay for us to pray that, but I also think the heart of the Lord is that we would be able to have his joy even in the midst of that pain. So this childbearing thing is a theme that Jesus uses as a case study, but it's also a very specific point that he is making in terms of the whole redemptive plan of the world. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 3, there's a promise that through the seed of Eve would come one who would step on the head and crush the head of the serpent. And so check this out in Genesis 3 uh, verse 14. So this is the Lord has, has created a perfect world. We have messed it all up by re- re- rebelling against what he has said. And that's what has typically been referred to as the fall of man. And in, in verse 14 of chapter 3, there's consequences. From our sin and re- rejection of, of God has come suffering and pain and death and destruction into the world. The world is now broken And God says this, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This verse in in Genesis 3.15 is oftentimes referred to as the Proto-Evangelion, or the the first good news of the Bible. That even here in the third chapter of Genesis, that we have the coming of the Messiah, who would crush the head of the serpent, even as the serpent bruises his heel. But notice that word, between your offspring, between your seed, in another translation that through the seed or offspring of Eve would come this Savior. Through the childbearing would come one who would save the world. To the woman, in verse 16 of Genesis 3, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, this led me to ask, what does multiplying pain mean? Does that mean that there was pain already? Because if you multiply zero, you get zero. So that word multiply, and another translation says increase. But what does it mean to multiply the pain in the the childbearing? Well, what it means is that there is already some kind of pain in the childbearing, but it will be multiplied. Here's the distinction. There are two different words that get used for pain in in Hebrew, at least two. 
One has to do with labor, work, which is a good thing. And a second one has to do with suffering, which is not a good thing. Pre-fall, there is labor. There is work. There are things that man and, and, uh, and woman are supposed to do in this world that will cost us something. Think of it as if you go and, and you're lifting weights and you're trying to, to do resistance and so that you can build muscle. There's a pain associated with that, but it's a good pain. Or think of it in a different way as if I'm, if I'm putting uh, my hand on the stove and there's a little bit of heat there, there's a little bit of pain there, that's a good thing. So I know that I don't burn my hand. But there's a second kind of pain that has been introduced by sin, and that is the pain of suffering. Increased pain, multiplied pain, unnecessary pain. Pain that goes beyond what is good for us. As a result of the fall, there will be increased, multiplied pain in childbearing. In other words, the thing that comes to bear fruit, a new, a new human, will be increased in the suffering as a result of the fall. Prior to that, childbearing would have been more like lifting weights, which would have been great. But our sin changed the world. And he says this to Adam in verse 17, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Yes, through sin, because of sin, there will be death. But also he's saying there, your work will get harder. Again, work was a good thing. Suffering was not. And the multiplication of the pain is in moving the work from the category of labor to a category of suffering. Now, I know we're on a giant rabbit trail here, but give us one more minute for 1 Timothy 2.15. 1 Timothy 2.15 says this, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What? She will be saved through childbearing? People have debated about what's intended here. Does this mean that, that a woman only is saved if she has a baby? Well, no. That can't be what that means. Well, here, when Paul writes Timothy, he is also referring to this process of childbearing that will lead to a Messiah who steps on the head of the serpent. And so the verse, yet she will be saved through childbearing, it's not saying that the woman will only be saved through childbearing. It's saying that we will be saved through childbearing as Jesus comes in the form of man. And this Jesus will come as one who will save the world. He will live a perfect life. He will die on the cross. He will rise again the third day so that our sorrow may be turned into joy. Amen? So there's a work of Christ that he has for us. And we ought not to think that all pain is bad. That there will be some pain that indeed is helpful for us. It's the suffering that is no good. 
And it's the suffering that God never intended for us, but that we brought upon ourselves with our sin. Work and labor was there from the beginning, and God intend us, intends for us to continue to live out our lives with that work and labor. labor. It's as Pastor Trey Fraley says, dreams don't work unless you do. I had to get Trey in there somehow. So the third thing that we see in this passage, let's go back to John. Jesus promises victory as we walk through sorrow and joy together. Picking back up in verse 25, he says this, I have said these things to you as in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer, will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that, you will, you, that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Now you can see even in this text how there's two different realities happening. He's foreshadowing the death and resurrection, and he's foreshadowing the ascension and the second coming. And in the midst of this, he's saying, there will come a day where you will understand clearly what just happened. Remember, this is also coming right on the tails of the, of the teaching on the Holy Spirit. In the last couple of weeks, our passages has taught on the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would help you to understand all truth. Again, he's referencing here that once I go to the Father, the Spirit will come, and you will understand. You see, we need the Spirit in order to understand the things of God. And Frank and Tyler did a fantastic job on the Holy Spirit the last couple of weeks. Again, if you have not heard those sermons yet, jump online and check those out. But he's referencing both the res death and resurrection and the future reality of the ascension and the second coming. But there's a nugget in here that we shouldn't miss, and it's that he talks about the love of the Father for all of you. That in the midst of the sorrow and the joy that we go through and the questions that we have about our experiences and our circumstances, one thing that is unquestionable is God's love. That we ought not to miss the fact that the Father loves us with the love that he has for the Son. That the invitation that God's people have is to walk together through sorrow and joy. Like we sang earlier in the service, and the worship team did a great job, Caleb did a great job selecting songs, that there will be another one in the fire with us. That God's promises are yes and amen. That in the midst of the sorrow that we walk through, that God meets us there. We oftentimes think that we are isolated in our pain. How can anybody else understand this? And in the darkest places that we have in our lives, we need to understand that if we are a child of God, that Jesus is there with us in those places. And so Jesus points to the love of the Father here so that we might understand that God walks with us through all of those experiences, the joyful ones and the sorrow ones, sorrowful, sorrowful ones. 
He goes on in verse 29 and says this. His disciples said, I, uh, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe you came from God. It's funny to me that the disciples here are, are trying to convince Jesus that now, now they understand. Oh, now we understand. And he says, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. So Jesus knows that when he goes to his death, the disciples are going to be scattered. Once again, so thankful that my salvation is dependent upon God's faithfulness and not my own. That even here, Jesus knows the disciples will abandon him when he goes to his death. As it was prophesied, strike the sheep and a shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And so Jesus is pointing out to them that they will actually be the ones to abandon him. Now that's helpful for me to understand because when I, I know that my pattern has been when I go into pain and sorrow, my pattern has been to hide myself from God. And that's back in Genesis 3 as well. When I go into a place of pain and sorrow, I want to hide myself from God. I want to hide myself from others. I don't want people to see me in that state. But we need to understand that Jesus has not left us, but he remains with us in those places of pain and sorrow. Jesus concludes that verse in verse 32 by saying, yet I am not alone for the Father is with me. Consistently, Jesus is drawing us to togetherness with God and with one another, even in the midst of the difficult things in this life. Now, our last verse of this passage, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So there are promises here from God, maybe not promises that we exactly will like. Frank Switzer would quote Tom Schrader, who was quoting Jesus in this, <laughs> saying, here is a promise, in this world you will have trouble. That's a promise from God. Not one that we want to hold on to, but that's a promise from God. But there are other promises here as well. Yes, he says that in this world we will have trouble. But the other promise is I have overcome the world. Yes, he says in this world we will have pain. But the other promise is your pain will turn into joy. We need to be a people who hold on to those promises of God. That even in the midst of pain, there is victory in Jesus as he walks through sorrow and, and joy with us. I think we get this wrong a couple of ways where we either dismiss joy and we get stuck in our sorrow and we think I there's, no, there's no joy for me. Or we get it wrong in the other way where we say, now that I'm a Christian, nothing will go bad. Which we know is not the case. But for now... In this little while period between the ascension and the second coming, 
Our experience is one of sorrow and joy. But we can live in the truth of God's victory. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And hold on to that joy. I just want to share with you two other quick verses. In Romans 5, 8, it says this, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, I'd like for you to see that God demonstrates the love that he has for us by entering pain with us. He enters our pain and demonstrates his love. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which cleans so, so, so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Running is a good work. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That Jesus, with joy, entered our pain. And then James 1, 2-4, Count it all joy then, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that we are to walk with joy in the midst of the pain that we have, knowing that it produces new life and fruit. I thought in concluding this message today that we ought to get a little bit personal because pain is personal. And though we all experience pain, we all experience pain in different ways. And so there are small kinds of pain, like the time that Dallas threw sand in my guacamole at the beach, and I was so mad because we had just gotten to the beach, and I, there was this wonderful taco shop, and as Frank Switzer would say, there's no joy when there's sand in the guacamole. But God, even in the midst of a guacamole full of sand, taught me joy. Real quickly, Dallas and I got up for a walk on the beach because I couldn't eat the guacamole anymore. And we're walking on the beach. I'm frustrated. I'm holding Savannah's hand. I've had trouble parking. We finally got everybody to the beach. I got the tacos. I got the guacamole. And there's sand in the guacamole. And I'm walking along the beach, and I'm furious. And this woman, who's in her mid-60s, walks up to us and says, do you want to look at this? What? Do you want to look at this? And she holds out a sand dollar. And she gives it to my daughter, who is just amazed. A live sand dollar. Still has the, still, it's, it's not just like the shell, right? And I'm furious. And this woman is showing my, my daughter a sand, daughter a sand dollar. And Dallas is just giggling about it as well. And she says, you know, you know how God works, right? And I'm like, okay, Lord. <laughs> I'm still mad about the guacamole, but okay. You know his creation and how he reveals his goodness through his creation? 
<laughs> just a random person on the beach. Yeah, I know. I know. He's amazing, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Okay, Lord, I got you. What's your name? My name is Luz Maria Patricia Pani. Oh, nice to meet you, Luz Maria. I just wanted you to know that God loves you and God bless you. Amazing. Amazing. And I wouldn't have met Luz Maria Patricia Pani without sand in the guacamole. <laughs> so there's little things like that, right? Where God, in, in the little frustrations of our lives, and oftentimes the pain that we think that we have is really just that, just little stuff. But there's another category there, which is that there's real pain. And I've been walking through a, a lot of that with, still, with having lost my friend Clark, and I've shared that with you guys several times. But how much I've just missed Clark. And so there are bigger, bigger pains like that. I went through a prodigal son period in my life in my, when I was 23, 24, 25 that I can share with you sometime. And there's real pain in this world. Even this week, I was talking with a student at GCU and a friend of mine from 20 years ago about, about breakups that have just rocked their world. And here in this congregation, there are people who are really suffering with family members and sicknesses, diseases, relationships. Too many to name, but that we've been praying for diligently. And what about the times when birth pains don't lead to babies, like we shared with the miscarriages that we had? There are people in this congregation who are really suffering. And yet God wants us to know that in the promise of tribulation, there is promise that he has overcome the world. And in the promise of pain, there is the promise that that pain will turn to joy. And there is the promise that he has victory over these things and that he walks with us through the sorrow and the pain. At our preaching collective, uh, Josh Butler, who is one of the lead pastors at Redemption Tempe, he said that redemption and restoration after the fall is better than creation before the fall. In other words, we don't long to go back to the garden as good as it was. What we long for is heaven for all eternity with God, because that will be even better. And that redemption and restoration after the fall is better than creation before the fall. We look ahead, and through Christ we can endure all things. Amen? We're going to pray in a moment for our communion. And today uh, we'll ask you to come forward and, and use the kits here one row at a time as we take communion in response. But I want to just let you know that we're starting next week in our Advent series, and the first sermon is on incarnation, or as we would say from today, salvation through childbearing, that Christ came to be born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and went to the cross to die for the sin of the world and rise again the third day.
In this time, in a little while, between the ascension and the second coming, he asks us to take communion as often as we meet. That we might recall the sorrow and the joy that was experienced by Christ as he went to the cross. That he gave his body and that he gave his blood for the sin of the world. And so we'll take together the bread and the cup. As Frank said last, uh, a couple weeks ago, we do have plans, by the way, to bring back bread, hopefully at some point. But we'll take that together as a way of understanding that Jesus has taken on our sorrow and with joy he went to the cross for the salvation of the world. Let me pray for us. God, we praise you that you walk with us through our sorrow and through our joy. God, that you promise to us that you've overcome the world and that you promise to us, Lord, that there would be joy and that our pain even would be turned into joy. God, we don't know how that's going to work in our present situations, but I do pray for all those that are suffering in our congregation, Lord, all those who are suffering in our world, Lord, as a result of our own sin. God, we pray that you would allow for even these things to be turned into joy through your victory in the cross. And God, that we might be a people who endure all things because of your company and the power of your resurrection. May we too rejoice in the midst of sorrow. So God, I pray that you would minister deeply to those of us that are taking communion together at this time, that through this process of remembering your death and resurrection, Lord, that you would be ministering to our needs, meeting us in the place of our sorrow, and filling us with joy by your Spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
has been wasted no failure or mistake you're an artist and the potter on the canvas and the clay when i doubt it lord remind me i'm wonderfully made you're an artist and the potter on the canvas and the clay you make all things work together the canvas and the clay you're an artist and a potter on the canvas and the clay Like a ring of solid gold, like a vow that is tested, like a covenant of old. Your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon. With mercy for today, faithful you have been. For you will be, you pledge yourself to me, and it's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips. 
be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips.
be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Amen. Thank you for being together to worship the Lord together today. Uh, our benediction comes from Romans chapter 8. Um, and actually, if we can put that up on the, on the screen. Do you have it there, Kirk? Yeah, cool. I wonder if, uh, I think there's two slides here. I wonder if we can read this together as our benediction today. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Amen. Go and live all of life, all for Jesus. God bless you.